Well, good morning, everybody. Today we are going to continue on with our Ephesians team, team talk. I am not a motivational speaker, but for some reason or another, today this verse landed in my lap. So I'm going to have a crack at talking to you about the best way that we can get along. Now, I am not a sports person. I do not play sport, but I have chosen to use the metaphor of team playing today. Now, this is Alex's cap. Where are you, Alex? Thank you for this today. I know it doesn't fit properly. Do you mind if I wear this for the whole talk? Excellent. Lovely. At the heart of learning to get along is actually the heart of God. You see, God is relational. He's the Father, He's the Son, and He's the Holy Spirit. And it's a divine flow of relationship that comes out of Him into his church, or what we sometimes call the body of Christ. Show of hands, has anybody here ever changed sports teams, gone from one team to play for another? Can I just have a show of hands? I want to see how common this is. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay, not as common as I thought. Can you just shout me out maybe one or two things that change when you change a team? Uniform? Uniform? Coach. Coach? Teammates? Location? Location. Level of competition? competition. Right, well, you've got more than I've got in my talk, so that's great. I'll see you later. (laughs) No, but seriously, there are three things that happen. This is what I want to pick up on from Ephesians. Now, that was a really hefty passage. There was lots in there. So I want to simplify it. Three things happen when people become Jesus followers. We get a new captain and a new coach who sometimes, apparently, according to my husband, in football teams in the country can be the same person, captain coach, because they might be a small team. So that works for me. Second thing is you get new clothes, you get a new uniform. And the third thing is you get a new code of conduct with which to play. Sometimes the team plays differently to what you used to. Now, this passage talks about Gentile Christians. All that means is that these people didn't come from a Jewish background. They came from what we call a pagan lifestyle where anything kind of goes. And they needed some top tips on how to get along. And I think it's still relevant for us today. So if you've got a Bible uh, gateway app on your phone, if you want to use your phone or if you want to use a paper Bible, however you want to go along with me, I encourage you to have a look at Ephesians 4 verse 17 and just watch how Paul describes these Gentiles. I mean, look at this. He talks about them as foolish-minded, darkened, and having lost all moral sensitivity. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that quite shocking, actually, because the people that I know who don't follow Jesus, well, I wouldn't kind of describe them like that, not even the lady at the supermarket. You know, people are generally quite nice people. And for me, I think I know a lot of gentle Gentiles, and you would probably say the same thing. But I want to point out what Paul is getting at here. He's not actually having a go at them as people, like the team players. He's talking about the state of play and the way that these Gentile people used to play the game of life before they came to Jesus. Seems shocking, but basically those three phrases are three ancient phrases. We don't get it because we don't live in AD 61 when this letter was written. Basically, foolish-minded just means that they didn't have their mind on God, And Paul wanted to say, you know what? Life is better with God. Secondly, when when it says that their understanding is darkened, it means that they just didn't have a flame in their heart for God. So they couldn't quite see what their best lives would look like. 
Thirdly, they've lost all moral sensitivity just means that anything goes. They were no longer able to restrain themselves, like when you're out on a, I don't know, a football game or if you're in a netball thing and you just want to hog the ball or something. I don't know, like I said, I don't play sport, but anything goes, you know, break all the rules. That's where they were at. But Paul's saying, don't go back there. Don't go back to that kind of game. That's not how we're supposed to get along. This is God's team. We're supposed to live a satisfied, fulfilling and other people-focused life. It's a new life in Jesus and he is our new captain. You see, when you move on to a new team, you've got to meet all your new teammates, which somebody said before. But can I encourage you to think of Jesus as the captain today as somebody that you actually need to know personally? It's more important to know him personally than it is to know stuff about him. That's how we're going to get along, is by knowing our captain. And why is Jesus our captain? Well, you know what? Jesus was actually fully God and fully human. We often sing songs about Jesus being the king of kings, but he was also on team with us. When he was here on earth, he played with us. He knew what life was like. We have a captain who knows how to play this game of life. It's important to get to know him because he's going to pull the team together and he's going to help us get along. That's our first step. The second thing is we're going to need some new clothes. We're going to need a new uniform. Now, I actually asked Ali to bring me a uniform, but I couldn't fit it over the microphone and stuff. So just imagine me putting on a new uniform. When we come to follow Jesus, he actually gives us a brand new set of clothing. You see, this imagery that Paul uses, he said the words that we would um, take off our old humanity, and that we would put on a new humanity. This image of clothing is like, hey, you've got a whole new image. When you step on team, on God's team, with Jesus as your captain, you get to wear the clothes that reflect the kind of team that you're on. Everybody's going to see you, and you're going to be identified by that. In fact, you're going to get a whole new identity. You're not going to be who you were beforehand. You're not going to be foolish-minded where your mind isn't on God. You're not going to have a darkened heart where you can't see your best life without God. And you're certainly not going to be able to play a game without the rules. You are going to be brand new. You know, when my son Ethan was little, lots of you know Ethan, this is a really old photo. It's the only one I could find of him in sports uniform. But he used to play for Knox Churches, and then we moved house and he played for Ringwood City Soccer Club. Both great teams, but he had to change his uniform. And the number 11 there is very dirty, and he's very happy about that. And sometimes we do get a bit rough and tumble, don't we, when we're playing together on team, when we follow Jesus and we don't always get along. Sometimes we feel like, actually, we're, we're, we really need a good clean-up. But this new identity is not just about washing a uniform. It's a whole brand spanking new uniform. It's a whole new identity. And that identity is actually Jesus. You see, when you get a new identity, it's like the old you, the old humanity comes inside who Jesus is. And that's how you live. That's how you move around your world. And all those things that are around you, like, I don't know, it might be affirmation from other people that you think you need for your identity. It might be accomplishments. It might be your workplace. It could be anything. That identity is rock solid in Jesus. He's your captain. 
He's given you new clothes with which to play. I think it's important that we see each other in God's church with those identities rather than seeing each other as all muddied up. We're actually not. We're brand new. We want the same thing. When we know whose uniform it is that we're wearing and we know what our identity is in Jesus, not in the things that we do, but in who we are, we're going to learn to get along. You know, I watched this thing, I don't know if anybody saw Insight last week, it was about Indigenous identity. Absolutely fascinating, I've got a few nods, people who saw it. They kept using this phrase over and over, who's your mob and what's your country? And I thought, wow, that kind of relates to this talk today. I know who my mob is. My mob is the people at NCR. These are the people that I'm on team with. You know, I was sitting here before and I was just feeling a little bit nervous, like you do when you have to get up and do something. And during that little game thing, we were supposed to talk with each other and I got up and I sat in between these... Oh, get a bit teary. <laughs> sat in between these two beautiful women who are very different to me, both of them, but we're on the same team. They're my mob. You're my mob. Maybe it's time that we see each other as our mob. Which team are you on? Whose uniform are you wearing? Look around the room just now. Go on, look. Look at each other. Look at each other. Say, hi, team. <laughs> All right, that's enough. No talking now. <laughs> Otherwise, it'll happen to what happened to Troy and I'll never get you back. Um, <laughs> he's on my team too. <laughs> this room is full of teammates, but it's also full of spectators. This room is not an us and them mentality. You know what I love about NCR? Is that we are a church that welcomes people who don't know Jesus and we say, come on in, have a look, stand on the sidelines if you like, but come in and among us, watch how we play. Watch how we play and come in. Watch how we get along. See if this might be a team for you. And you know what? This whole team uniform thing, if you want to get on board and you want to wear the team uniform and be on Jesus' team, you can come and be baptised. You can come and you can go under and leave the old humanity behind, pick up your new identity on the way out of the water and get on team. I don't think you'll look back. New captain, new clothes. They're going to help you live the new codes. Do you like that? I like that. It's a bit fun. <laughs> new code of conduct. When you join a new team, the captain might say, hey, we don't play like this anymore. We've got a different strategy. We play this way. You see, following Jesus isn't always easy. And I want to tell you about why Paul wrote these codes of conduct. I don't think I need to give you the whole list of what to do and what to don't, but I will in a minute. But I think it's more important that we actually understand why he wrote it. There are two things. Number one, the way we play together is going to reflect Jesus, our captain. People are looking at us. They're looking at us all the time to see how Christians are behaving and how they're working together. It's a team sport. We have team shirts and we have a reputation, don't we? I have a friend who I walk my dog with and she says to me sometimes, Cindy, the thing I don't like about Christians... That's really a scary phrase. The thing I don't like about Christians is that you guys have double standards. You say one thing, but you do another. You know, your code conduct is like this, but when you're on the field together, it just looks really awful. You're like a dog's breakfast. Well, she didn't say that, but I'm saying that. We're going to play like a team. 
And the way that we play has to be fair because we're reflecting Jesus. See, the codes help us to live up to the clothes. Do you like that one? I like that one too. The clothes that we wear help us live up to the codes that we claim to live by. Secondly, the other reason why we have codes is that Jesus has actually given us to each other as a gift. Now, we learned about this at uni the other day. We were talking about grace gifts. So we are all a gift of grace to each other. Now, there are people in this room who are going through really hard stuff because life is hard sometimes. When you come to Jesus and you say, I want to follow you, it doesn't mean you get, even though you get a new identity, it doesn't mean that everything is all perfect because we still live in a broken world. But the way that we're going to learn to get along is to actually look at each other as a grace gift. This morning, Ali and um, Yvonne were my grace gift because sitting between the two of those just felt so encouraging, gave me the strength that I needed to get up here. You know, and I look around the room and I see people that are grieving. I see people that have lost people. I see people that have come out of really horrible work situations or bullying. Everybody goes through stuff. We are here to help each other up. This is a picture of a guy called John, and um, this is on top of a volcano in Bali. We had to get up at 3 a.m., Rodney and I and the two boys once, from Cockroach Hotel. We were glad to get out of there, let me tell you. I wanted to climb that mountain because that room was full of cockroaches, so we were happy to leave. But as we're going up the mountain, the higher you get for those people who have climbed volcanoes, the higher you get, um, you find that there's all this loose rock and shale and your feet start slipping and I was wearing $2 Kmart shoes so that was also not helpful. <laughs> but I'm at the top and all this stuff is slipping down and I'm thinking, I can't do this, I'm tired. You know, Ethan's already over the top because he's, you know, bouncing around and Ezra as well. And then all of a sudden this hand just comes out of the dark because we were supposed to be there before sunrise to see the sunset. This hand, this guy's hand, John, comes out of the dark, comes over the top of this little rise and just pulls me up and over out of that slippery rock. And I feel like this is a little bit of a picture. And John, by the way, means gracious gift of God. Like, I think this is for each other. We are gifts to each other. If we would look at each other more often as gifts, maybe we would learn to get along. You know, when I'm up here leading worship or when I came in this morning and I see the, the, the youth band doing their thing, they're my mob. They're, they're God's gift of grace to me when I'm worshipping. I wonder how long it's been since you've looked at somebody in this room as a gift. Just turn to someone, just right now, and say, you are a gift of grace. Go on, but not too long. <laughs> all right, all right, that'll do. <laughs> you know what? If COVID taught us anything, it's that we need, we need each other, don't we? We need each other. And can I say that this is actually less about you, but more about Jesus? Sometimes we get so focused on what it means to get along that we forget about actually the first relationship is here with the captain, you know, we've got the new identity, and then we work it out. There's a, I wasn't going to go here, but I'm just going to say it really quickly. In the Gospel of John, there's this story of Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea who take Jesus' body off the cross. And it says in there that they wrapped his body with strips of linen and spices. And I was thinking about that, that these two men were ministering to the body of Christ after Jesus had died. But you know what? When we help each other up, we're actually ministering to the body of Jesus, to Jesus himself and to each other. 
You know, if I go to somebody today who is grieving and I say, I'm just really sorry to hear about what's happened to you, I'm offering a strip of linen to bandage that wound. We are gifts of grace to each other. So what are these codes? Well, look at them. I really don't want to read them out. Just have a quick look. I might read one or two. I mean, there's a lot of them, isn't there? Just go back one. Don't lie, speak the truth, don't take anger too far, don't, uh, don't steal, don't say bad things. I mean, if you have a look at this list, right, this is why Christianity often gets confused with moralism, all the do's and the don'ts. I wonder how you're going with this list. Because all the things on the do side are the way in which we're going to get along. See, when we get to know our team captain, we put on our new identity, our new uniform, and then we start to walk in this Christian code of conduct, we find that actually things are starting to work well. There's an order here. Captain, clothes, conduct, the way we treat each other. And you know what? Even though we do get a new identity and we're totally made new at that moment when we come to Jesus and we say, you can have my life, even though we're totally new, in practice, we have a new humanity, but it's only, sorry, in principle, we have a new humanity, but only in practice do we actually become it. This is the practicing bit. This is the team skills, the team drills. This is the kind of stuff that you do. You pass the ball to each other, you learn how to dribble or whatever things you do in sport. Teams, drills and skills. This is our drills and skills. This is what we do. It's practice, practice, practice. You know, last week, Yvonne said this thing about we are a motley bunch of people. Never anywhere, anywhere in the world will you see a, a bunch of people that are so different but so united. You know, I don't know what your family Christmases are like. Mine are usually okay, but some family Christmases don't go right. Even though people might be related by blood, it doesn't mean that they get along, right? Is it any different in the big body of Christ getting along? Like God's family is humongous, right? Worldwide. How many different types of people are there? But we are related actually by the blood of Jesus. When his body came off the cross, he had been bleeding. We are, we have a blood bond, people. We do. Practice, practice, practice. This is not about how good we are. This is actually about how good God is. Now, I'm going to give you a radical, radical suggestion for the best way to get along. It's called love. Do you know what's so hard about love? Is that sometimes the harder we try, sometimes we realise that we fall harder because we just can't do it and we need God's help. But more than that, can I just have a blank screen there, Nick, please, if you don't mind, because I'm just going to change where I'm going to go here. The best way to get along is to actually guard yourself. You know, I was thinking about this last night and I had to practice with Rodney because I don't do sports, but because <laughs> I was going to do the netball thing with the three feet or whatever it is, but that didn't work. This one works. When you're dribbling with basketball, right, apparently you use your back and whatnot so that you opposition doesn't come in here and rob the ball. Am I right? <laughs> so you're dribbling, you're doing your drills and skills, not this kind of dribbling. Is, am I right? Is that right? <laughs> right, next time I won't use a team metaphor. Note to self. 
We need to watch how we play because this is a spiritual team and we have a spiritual opposition. Now, I know we don't like talking about the opposition. We don't like talking about Satan or the devil or the enemy, but he's real and he's serious. And if we don't guard how we dribble, all those do's and don'ts lists, if we're lying, cheating, if we're putting each other down, if you go home today and you say, Cindy's message was really terrible or, you know, the band would shock him today, we're not playing on a team. That's not, that's not unity. If you guard what you do and say, the way we're dribbling the ball, we are using our spiritual backs to guard ourselves against the work of the opposition. Who is the enemy? Who is the devil? And I said it before, I know we don't like to talk about it, but he loves loopholes and footholds. Now, Nick, can you just put that screen back up where it says Ephesians 4.27, don't leave any loophole for the devil? The best way that you can guard yourself to get along with each other is to watch your own state of play. How are you going on your team? How are you talking amongst each other? How are you going with that list? You've got to know your captain because he's the one that's going to start to transform you with that new identity so that when it comes to playing your code of conduct, you're going to be really guarding your spiritual life. You're not going to be speaking badly about each other because you don't want to give the devil a foothold to bring you down. Now, in first century Judaism, when Paul wrote this letter, there was a belief that if you did those things, lie, cheat, steal, you're actually a magnet for demons. I don't think anything's different today. The closer we walk with our captain, the more we recognise our identity, the more we practise our drills and skills and being together, seeing each other as grace gifts, guarding the way we walk, we will learn to get along. But we are not alone because we have a new coach who is actually the same person as the captain. The captain is Jesus, the coach is the Holy Spirit. They're one and the same, Father, Son, Spirit. The Father could be the owner of the team, if you like. There we go. Now we have three. The Holy Spirit is our new coach. And it actually says in Paul's letter that we shouldn't disappoint him. See, when we're not guarding ourselves and we're dribbling or when we're speaking badly about each other, we disappoint him, we grieve him. It's like the Holy Spirit keeps his hand out all the time and he says, walk this way. And sometimes we don't. We've got his mark, we've got his team shirt and he's on the sidelines but he's also on the inside, this particular coach. He's going to give you regular updates every day and every moment about the state of play, where the trip hazards are, what the opposition is doing. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes I wonder if I'm actually listening enough to the Holy Spirit and to my coach. And sometimes I don't play so well. In fact, the very morning that Troy asked me to do this talk, I went over to H&M to buy a new pair of jeans. hate buying jeans. Absolutely hate buying jeans. Went and tried them on, thought, yep, these are the ones I want. Went out to pay at the register. And on the way, you know, you see the sales rack. So I'm just flicking through the sales rack, seeing if there's anything for five bucks. Didn't find anything. But what I did find was that there was this lady standing really close to me as I had my pair of jeans ready to pay and I'm just flicking through the rack and she's there trying on her puffer jacket with, I think it could have been her husband or boyfriend. 
Anyway, I'm like, ooh, close, you know, 1.5, stay alive. So I move this way. She's over there, flicking through the rack, and she's there again. So I move again, like this. I'm like, oh, I've got to get out of this situation. So got my jeans, went to the register. Now, H&M in Eastland has this kind of T intersection. You walk up, and then you've got the registers there, and then you wait for the person at the register to call you, and then you have your turn to walk up. You know what I mean? T intersection, you wait. So I did that. I waited at the T intersection, gathered myself. I'm all good. Ladies over there, no problems. My turn. I go to the register. I pay. Credit card. Beep. All good. And then I went to put my credit card in my bag, and my arm knocked something, and I turned around, and it was Puffer Jacket Lady. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. She was there. Now, this is not a proud moment. Right? I, don't, I honestly don't know why Troy is asking me to do this talk today because I failed badly, miserably. I turned around and I said, can you just give me a little bit of space here, please? I know. And she said, I think you have more than enough space. <laughs> and I said, wow. <laughs> Wow! I say, and you know that moment when you know you shouldn't say anything, but this just comes out, wow! And then I don't really remember what I said next, but I think it was this. I got my jeans and I said, I'll show you what space looks like. <laughs> and I walked off. Now, the reason why I'm telling you this is because I didn't play well in that moment. And what happened was, as soon as that happened, I left a loophole and the enemy was coming in and saying to me, you are not a good Christian and you should not be doing this talk that Troy just asked you to do 20 minutes ago because you're dodgy at this game. You don't look like a Jesus follower, might have the uniform, but you're not playing very well. So I went home and told Rodney and cried. And Rodney said, you watch Puffer Jacket Lady will be there the day you talk. So, just <laughs> so, if, <laughs> so I just want to say sorry. <laughs> No, but seriously, what are we going to do when we don't play well? Because everybody's going to stuff up at one point or another. There are actually two voices on the court when you're playing. There's the voice of your coach that says, come on, do this, go there, play that way. Or for us, the Holy Spirit who's on the inside, just treat that lady with kindness. Just say, oh, hello, can I help you? That would have been nice. <laughs> We have a coach who's telling us to do the right thing. We also have a heckler. We have an accuser who is standing at the ready all the time. Revelation, I think it's 12. Revelation 12 verse 10 says he's going to come and accuse you all the time, day and night, before the throne. How are we going to get along when this accuser is telling us how bad we are? You know, we're going to stop playing the game. We're going to go, can I sit out on this one, please? No, Jesus needs you on the court or Jesus needs you on the field. And this is going to happen to you. Whose voice is louder? Because you know what? The enemy will be shouting at you like he did to me at H&M. You are a bad Christian, Cindy Vandery. How dare you get up there and do a talk and tell everybody how perfect you are. But you know what? The Holy Spirit's voice is softer and it's way more authoritative. So we've just got to know who we're listening to. Jesus did not leave us to play this game alone. We have a captain... We have a coach, one and the same. Sometimes we get it wrong. You know what? It says here that we need to forgive one another as God forgave us. Now, I know God's forgiven me for the H&M saga. I know that. I'm not proud of it, but I'm not ashamed. 
because it's just, this is what happens, doesn't it? I, I bet you many of you are thinking right now of something that happened this week where you just go, oh, really wasn't a good Jesus follower. I want to read you something. But before I do, I want to just draw you a quick picture and then I think we'll be close to finished. Oh, this is actually like I'm a coach. Look at this. <laughs> hey, that's cool. All right. So, uh, let me just do this first. I'm going to write two words. So on this side I've got the word ACC, which basically just means accusation, right? Oh, and I'm going to draw myself in the middle. And I'm going to wear a skirt today. Okay, so there's me in the middle. Sometimes when we do things wrong, we listen to this voice of accusation, right? We're in here, we're listening to the voice of accusation, but God's river of forgiveness flows for us. Sometimes we choose to get off the game, sit on the sidelines, and we go, oh, such a bad Christian. Let somebody else do it. Troy, get someone else to do the talk, because I'm a bad Christian. Get someone else to do the worship leading, because I don't really feel like that. Get someone else to set up the chairs, because, you know, last time I did a bad job. But Jesus is asking us to keep stepping up here all the time. This is how we're going to learn to get along, is to stop bowing out and to start stepping up into God's forgiveness. I just want to read you one little quote and then we're going to finish up because I think it's really important. The conviction of the Holy Spirit and the accusation of the enemy often begins with the same seed. It's an awareness of brokenness. The goal of the Holy Spirit's conviction is restoration, the path to flourishing, so he gets you back in the game. The end of the enemy's accusation is despair and it's a telltale sign that it's a feeling of guilt and it's focused on the past and he wants to keep you there so you don't get along with each other so that the kingdom of God can't get anywhere. But the spirit leads us to think of restoration, repentance and a new future. See, that's how we're going to learn to get along. So dust yourself off, get back in the game and listen to your coach. Right, where have we landed? What's the state of play? I'm going to invite the band up, actually, because I think we're pretty close to finishing. This week, I want to give you three practical suggestions. I know this has been a massive talk, but hopefully, hopefully you've just taken one or two things out of it. Tips for getting along. Your new captain and your coach. Have yourself a daily one-on-one -on -one meeting. As Jesus followers... We need to know our captain and our coach personally so that he can change and transform us. He's going to change the way you play this game. So meet with your coach. Listen for the game strategy. Secondly, know what clothes you've got on. Wear that team uniform. Thanks, Alex, for the cap. Daily, put it on. Remind yourself daily of your position on the team. I am in the body of Christ. This is my team. This is my mob. I have a new identity. Yes, I'm going to stuff up. But you know what? We all will. That's why we need Jesus, because he never did or does. And lastly, practice the codes. Read the book. Read the book. It's called the Bible. It's got all the drills and all the skills. We need to practice, practice, practice on being together. Guard yourself. Know what kind of person you are and what moments you're going to find a loophole is there. And to borrow a phrase I've heard once or twice before, just do it. So come on, NCR. We're a big team. We're a big mob. 